The reading of the scriptures from uh, Isaiah chapter 63 and reading verses 7 to 14. So uh, let us hear the word of God uh, in faith, uh, for it is uh, indeed the, uh, the living word of the living God. I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel that He has granted them according to His compassion, according to the abundance of His steadfast love. For He said, Surely they are My people, children who will not deal falsely. And He became their Savior. In all their affliction He was afflicted, and the angel of His presence saved them. In His love and in His pity He redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved His Holy Spirit. Therefore He turned to be their enemy, and He Himself fought against them. And then He remembered the days of old of Moses and His people, Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths? Like a horse in the desert, they did not stumble. Like livestock that go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make yourself a glorious name. Uh, The nation uh, in the text before us uh, does something that uh, you and I do all of the time. Uh, They take a walk down memory lane. Uh, They remember the good old days, uh, but everything has slipped away from them. Uh, Even under Moses and Joshua, they came up short. Uh, The underlying theology of the passage before us is a covenant of works. God engaged in a covenant with uh, the nation of Israel. He gave them leaders like Moses and Joshua. Uh, But again, uh, they failed. They failed tragically. And so God leaves. And the lament that he has uh, uh, here for us in the words of Isaiah is for God to come back. It's interesting that they walk down memory lane for successes of days gone by. Uh, It's a reminder to us of uh, of the chief success that we have in the grace of God in Jesus Christ, because in Him we have a greater covenant, not the old covenant of works, but the covenant of redemption. It's far superior in every way to the covenant of works because it secures our success. And of course, there is no comparison whatsoever between the old Moses and the greater Moses and the Lord Jesus, uh, who leads his people to everlasting life, who secures the redemption and wins for us every success. Uh, Let's go back in terms of our text, Isaiah 63. Uh, The people remember God in verses 7 to 10, uh, and then they remember their success under Moses, verses 11 to 14. So let's go remember the past, go down their memory lane Uh, And then ultimately we will shift uh, to all that we have in Christ. It's good to remember who God is. uh, Fundamental to everything in life. Everything. 
It's the nature of God. I think oftentimes we uh, lose this. We lose a sense of this. Uh, even in the church, we sometimes are more enveloped with our own needs than we are the grandeur, the greatness, and the majesty in the worship of God. Uh, perhaps uh, all of us need to understand that the sense of that theology is to envelop us, to remind us that our every need is met in Him. And of course, His ability to meet our every need is inexhaustible. And of course, uh, He loves us eternally in Jesus Christ. Uh, Isaiah is uh, speaking in our text. Uh, he begins uh, with something of a return to this great memory lane. I remember, verse 7, New American Standard says, I will make mention, but he uh, literally in the text says, I will remember the loving kindness of the Lord, the praises of God. Uh, the word loving kindness is a very stark word throughout the scriptures. Uh, I happen to translate it the covenant loyalty of God to his people, uh, that God is going to be loyal to his covenant, uh, that God is faithful, he will keep his word. Uh, great reminder, even in light of the tragedy of the Babylonian captivity uh, and the struggle for the nation to return. Uh, it was a terrible time in the history of the nation. Uh, but again, God is still faithful. A great text that reminds us of the covenant loyalty of God. Lamentations chapter 3, beginning in verse 20, 22. The Lord's loving kindness, the same word used in Isaiah 63, verse 7, that Isaiah is remembering. Here the prophet Jeremiah is remembering the Lord's loving kindness, that they never cease, that His compassions never fail, that in some way the prophet is anticipating that God will act again with a greater Redeemer and a greater covenant because God's compassion and His loyalty to His covenant will never fail. They are unfailing. And then the beautiful words there, I knew every morning, great is thy faithfulness. Even in a time of the incredible distress of the destruction of the nation, the plundering of the temple, Jeremiah is setting in motion the faithfulness of God. Great application for each of us, is it not? We suffer a variety of distresses in life. God knows. God remembers. God will be loyal. God will keep. God will preserve. His faithfulness to you as a son of God is never ending. Uh, rejoice even in your difficulties uh, because His faithfulness is great. Uh, the standard here returning to Isaiah 63 uh, is all that He granted out of His bounties to Israel and out of His compassion. Uh, his actions, again, are governed by His character. That's why it's important for the church to give serious study to the nature of God uh, because it has a way of fixing all of our problems and reminding us that God will ultimately fix everything because we are His sons. And then the prophet uses the same word by which he began the verse. Isaiah 63.7 According to the multitude of His loving kindness. He begins to remember it he reflects upon it, and he asks God to act again based upon his covenant loyalty. 
Interesting, one of the things that uh, I lament in our own culture is the lack of loyalty. When you read the scripture and the nature of God, you never have to trouble about God's loyalty to his people, God's loyalty to his word, God's loyalty to his promises. Uh, Again, the character of God, the nature of God, governs uh, everything uh, that we should hold dear. Uh, The literary device here forces us to concentrate on God's benevolence, his generosity, his total faithfulness. He begins the verse with the covenant loyalty of God. He closes the verse with the covenant loyalty of God. And underlying all of this in terms of Old Testament theology is the covenant of works. God was Israel's Savior. He made them His sons. In verses 8-9, to He acts upon their behalf. He says, you are my people. You are sons who will not deal falsely. He engages in a covenant with them. He defines them as a people who will be loyal to Him. Sons who will not deal falsely. He identifies them with them in all of their afflictions. He dispatches an angel to save them. Four verbs follow in rapid successive order. He saved, he redeemed, he lifted them, and he carried them. It encompasses the great acts in this walk down memory lane of God's deliverance from Egypt. Provoking if you will, in an implicit way, for God to act again, for God to send a greater Moses, uh, for God to act in His covenant loyalty. Uh, reminder of this in uh, Exodus chapter 19, uh, in verse 4. It's important for us to understand the Exodus because you and I are engaged in a new Exodus. Uh, Exodus 19 and verse 4, the walk down memory lane. God's dealing with the children of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you up on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Implicit reminder that what God has done in the past, would that he would do it again. Uh, To the children of Israel anticipating the Babylonian captivity. Uh, Exodus 23 and verse 20. Behold, I'm going to send an angel before you to guard you all along the way and to bring you to a place which I have prepared. The promise of God, children of Israel. But uh, the prophet reminds the children of Israel as they take this walk down memory lane, 63.10, that they failed, but they rebelled, and they grieved His Holy Spirit. Excellent illustration here for the church. The Apostle Paul alludes to this text in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed in the day of redemption. The Spirit of God has sealed us. Uh, He secures our victory all along the way, and therefore we ought to be careful not to act like the children of Israel and grieve the Holy Spirit. So they were not faithful. And God remains faithful according to His covenant. Let's look at the covenant that He made with them. The book of Leviticus. It's important to understand this walk down memory lane because the past reminds us of the greater grace that we have in our own day, of the faithfulness of God. 
book of Leviticus chapter 26. The covenant that God made with the children of Israel. I'm going to read simply two verses uh, from Leviticus 26. The first is verse 14, and the second verse 17. But if you do not obey me, do not carry out all of these commandments. It's the covenant of works. Look at verse 17. Then I will set my face against you, so that you shall not be struck down before your enemies, and those who hate you shall rule over you. So again, if you don't keep uh, my word, then I will turn against you. Remarkable reminder in the history of Israel that they would conduct holy war against enemies of God. They become the enemy of God, so he conducts holy war against them. Stark reminder of the covenant of works. So they fail, he kicks them out of the garden land. And then verses 11 to 14, continuing this walk down memory lane, Isaiah uh, reminds them of Moses, uh, the great shepherd. Part of the good old days was Moses. Uh, first part of verse 11, then his people remembered the days of old of Moses. Where is he who brought them out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit in the midst of them? Remembering the good old days, the good old deliverer Moses. Here we're transitioning from the character of God to the great deliverer. And then the text poses two questions. Now, where is God? Again, verse 11, where is he who brought them up out of the sea? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit in the midst of them? In the midst of distress, we want to know where God is. Now, we oftentimes fall into distress. And we think that, well, uh, God has forgotten me. Uh, God has taken the uh, receiver of the telephone off the hook. Uh, he's deleted me from his memory. God does not forget his people. Uh, God knows where we are, who we are. He knows everything about our distresses. Uh, here they are remembering Moses. Uh, they are recollecting the great acts of deliverance out of the Red Sea, the defeat of Pharaoh and all of his armies, the power of God. Uh, again, uh, instrumental to this walk uh, down memory lane, Exodus chapter 14 in verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land so the waters were divided. A great reminder uh, of God's actions to the deliverer Moses, but God's principal actions in his power over the Red Sea. Uh, Isaiah identifies the agent as the spirit. Uh, in my own mind, there is an allusion here uh, to Genesis chapter 1 in the creation account. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 and verse 9, the Spirit hovering over the seas. And then the Spirit of God separating the sea from the dry ground. It's exactly what's occurring here. There was the Red Sea. The Spirit of God hover, hovers over the sea. He creates the dry ground so that the people can walk safely through the Red Sea and be saved from the armies of Pharaoh. And then when the armies of Pharaoh try to walk down that dry ground, they're destroyed as God 
closes the Red Sea upon them. So in this great incident of God, this act of creation, he's creating the nation. And then our text in Isaiah 63 closes with what may very well be a reference to Moses' successor in Joshua and the promise of rest in the land, uh, verses 13 and 14. Uh, He led them through the depths. Uh, He gave them rest, verse 14. Uh, He led the people for His own glorious name. Uh, We recall this, for example, in Joshua chapter 1. God says to Joshua, I'm going to give you rest in the land. And then a recapitulation of the creation account. Not only in Exodus 14 and 15, but perhaps even again from Genesis 1. When the feet of the priests touched the river Jordan, the waters divided, and the people crossed into the land on dry ground. He's creating the nation anew, recapitulating the Exodus narrative. Reminder, reminder to remember God's acts of creation, uh, to remember God's faithfulness to his people, his faithfulness to Moses, his faithfulness to Joshua, and of course, his faithfulness to us. I'd like to close uh, this uh, portion of the message, uh, soon to depart, Isaiah chapter 63, uh, to another reminder of a warning. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul does something very unique. He also takes a walk down memory lane, reminds his church not to act like Israel of old. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in verses 11 and 12. Now these things happen to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages has come, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Uh, Church in Corinth was beginning to act like Israel of old. Sometimes it's important to take a walk down memory lane, uh, to remember sometimes uh, the days uh, don't speak too highly of our own loyalty, and to remember that we live in the last days upon whom the ends of the ages have come, to be provoked these great reminders and these warning passages. Another such warning passage is from the New Testament, uh, a reminder, a provocation uh, to be faithful to God. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 12 and 13. If we endure, we shall also reign with Him. Now look at the warning. If we deny Him, He will deny us. It's good to remember the great denials when you walk down memory lane. The denial of Peter, for example. The denial of Judas. The denial of the nation of Israel. And that God is always faithful to deny those who deny Him. In the grace of God, He recovers Peter. Remarkable promise to keep it to preserve Peter, even in the midst of denial. The grace of God acts differently because of who Peter is, is numbered among the people of God. Uh, but Judas cast off. The nation of Israel denies God and the entire first generation with but a handful is destroyed in the wilderness. Again, uh, remembering to be faithful to God, to be loyal to God. So where is God? 
It's really the essence of the question of this walk down memory lane. They failed God, he left. Why doesn't he come back? Where is he? Uh, Perhaps on occasion you ask yourself uh, that question in a different way. Why has God forgotten me? Why has he left me? Uh, Why am I in this distress? Why am I in trouble? Why am I plagued by these continued difficulties in life? Uh, Well, God answers us. And his ultimate answer, of course, to every lament, whether Isaiah's and Isaiah chapter 63, or our own questions, uh, now and in the age to come, is that God has come to us in Christ. And he's present with us in Christ. And so we turn now to a greater Moses and a greater Joshua. Uh, It's the answer to the question, whether it's Isaiah or whether it's you, that God has sent Messiah to us. Uh, There is a remarkable conceptual parallelism uh, in Isaiah chapter 63 and verse 11. Why don't I read that text again? Uh, He he brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock. And where is he who put his Holy Spirit in the midst of them? Uh, picks up again, I think, uh, the first part of Isaiah chapter 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. These are great prayers of lament and calling upon God to tear open the heavens and to come back and to visit his people. Well, God has done that. He's already done that. Let's look at how he's done that. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. The answer of Isaiah 63 than the coming of Christ. And the conceptual parallelism between water and spirit and dry ground. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water. Notice water. And behold, the heavens were opened. Notice the heavens were opened. Isaiah 64, 1. And he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him. Again, the Spirit led them in Isaiah 63, The heavens are opened in Isaiah 64, 1. And then behold, uh, Matthew 3, 17, the voice of the heavens saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Notice Jesus comes up out of the water just as the children of Israel were led out of the water, the Red Sea. And the Spirit is upon Him. Uh, And we know the beginning words of Matthew chapter 4, the Spirit led Him into the wilderness. Uh, So again, the answer is, where is God who's going to lead me up out of the waters is in Christ. Just as he led Christ out of the waters, so too he will lead us. And the Spirit is present upon us. Uh, The author, I think, of the book of Hebrews also uh, alludes to Isaiah chapter 63 and verse 11 and Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead, he brought up the children of Israel out of the water. He brought up Jesus out of the waters of his baptism. And he brought up Jesus from the dead. Again, the reminder uh, that Christ 
It's the ultimate answer of the questions of Isaiah 63. And sometimes to our own questions, that when we take a walk down memory lane, we can reflect upon all of our failures, but we ought to reflect upon the majesty of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And as God brought up the Son out of the waters, as He brought up the Son out of death, so too He will preserve and protect us all along the way. And then God sends the Spirit, does He not? The Spirit was His agent at the Red Sea. The Spirit descends upon Christ at His baptism, and then the Spirit comes upon us. Isaiah 63, 14, He leads His people. And the same Spirit leads us. Uh, the word in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 10, is the same word the Apostle Paul uses in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. But as many as are the sons of God are being led by the Spirit of God. Notice the collusion of all of this. Water, Spirit, the presence of God. Heavens are opened and the blessings of God pour down upon His people. Uh, and so where is God? Well, He's come in Messiah. He's come in the Spirit. The Messiah has redeemed us. The Spirit now leads us and He's leading us again through the waters of affliction. That Christ is the greater Moses and the Spirit leads us in the greater Exodus. Uh, all of this, of course, uh, for those of you who have been present uh, last couple of months, know is a recapitulation of these great themes of the prophet Isaiah. Uh, that what God did in the past, He's going to do again. What God did to Israel, He will do for us. And we know it's true and sure because of Christ, the Messiah has come. Much, much greater. Far superior to Moses. Much, much greater than Joshua. Far superior to Joshua. Ultimately, the best that they could do failed. And the nation failed. Christ cannot fail. He will succeed. And all who are His will succeed in Him. A great reminder of the grace of God. Uh, we know this is true. Again, another verse by way of, of a reminder uh, that you and I are in an exodus and that God is leading us through difficult waters, uh, leading us through waters of affliction, and that God will create dry ground. The book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 12, verses 14 to 16. And the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman, uh, the messianic company, the messianic people of God, if you will, ultimately in the church, in order that she might fly into the wilderness. Notice the wilderness, an allusion uh, to God carrying us into the wilderness to make us safe. And there He nourishes us for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Great reminder of the encampment of God with His people. Uh, but notice danger, verse 15. And the serpent poured out water like a ritterer out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with a flood. And what does God do? The earth helps the woman and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. Recapitulation of the Exodus theme over and over again. Exodus 14, Exodus 15. Recapitulation of the great themes of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, Joshua chapter 3. Recapitulation of the great promise of God, the prophet Isaiah chapter 63 and verse 64. But they come true to us. 
because Messiah has come. The Messiah has dispatched his spirit. And so, a greater Moses. In fact, one of incomparable superiority and greatness to Moses is given to us in Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of his people. And the same Spirit who led the people of God in days gone by is now leading us. But that we are sons of a different order. Isaiah calls upon the shepherds of old to come back. They will not, because Christ is the good shepherd who shepherds his people. And again, you know over and over again from the great chapter, John chapter 10 of the great shepherd, that none that the Father gives to him to shepherd can be lost. And that he will raise them all up upon the last day that the rivers of the water that spew out of the mouth of the dragon cannot get at us. We will walk upon safe ground because Christ is our shepherd. It's our reminder that our shepherd, our Messiah, is dealing with the cure of the curse. He's recovering us and will see us safely to those distant shores. Again, it's the answer to the question, where is God? Messiah, Christ, the Spirit. Uh, If you are a Christian, I I understand in the weakness of our own flesh, sometimes we think, all these bad things are happening to me. God must have forgotten me. He's taken the receiver off the hook. No, it cannot be true because Christ is the good shepherd. And God, in his providence and his grace, has dispatched the Spirit to lead you. If you are a son, the Spirit is leading you. Providentially, everything that happens to us, as you know from Romans chapter 8, will work together for good. And he will reach those distant shores because you are a son purchased by the Messiah, led by the Spirit. You cannot fail. It's the answer to this ultimate question, where is God? God is present. A great reminder, great encouragement that this question from Isaiah 63 is answered for us in Christ. Uh, A moment ago, I read a text from uh, the book of Hebrews. Uh, Same chapter, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Uh, The author alludes to the Old Testament and the promise of Jesus to each of us, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. In other words, where is God in your life? He is with you. He cannot forsake you. He cannot forget you. I understand we are led through difficult times, but all in the providence of God, and God is working it all uh, together for our good to provoke us as sons to be loyal, to be faithful, and that he will keep and preserve us and see us to the end. Messiah has come if you're a Christian. By the way, I might simply say, by word of invitation, if you are here this morning and you are not a Christian, You do not have a good shepherd watching over your soul. You have an evil shepherd, and he will destroy your soul. And that your only hope is to turn to the Savior and to ask him to be merciful to you, to be gracious to you, to come to you and to save you and to rescue you, and to plead simply the merits of the righteousness of Christ. It's a day to flee to him, that today is a day of salvation, 
to realize that you are being shepherded over by a power that you cannot fully understand. And the only one that is greater is Christ. The great words of Scripture, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. And that breaks the dominion of the power of evil and darkness sets you free in Christ. Uh, invitation implicit in the Gospel. That God is present in His Messiah. That God is present in His Spirit uh, to all who turn to Him. And may God be gracious to you to do just that, to provoke your heart in His sovereign grace. Well, it's not just a person, the greater Moses, the greater Joshua. It's a greater covenant. Uh, we've studied momentarily uh, the allusion to the covenant of works in Isaiah 63, turning to passages. Uh, for example, uh, the book of Leviticus. Uh, but the covenant of works underlies the failure of Israel under the covenant. And so it reminds us of a greater covenant God affects in His Messiah, the covenant of redemption, which secures our forgiveness and our ability to obey the grace of God. Let's look at this promise, this greater covenant. Uh, turn with me, if you would, in your Old Testament. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 31. Uh, God knows of the failure of the children of Israel under the Old Covenant. So He promises a greater covenant. Uh, Jeremiah 31. I'm going to read simply a couple of verses. The first, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, while I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Skip down to verse 34. And they shall not teach again each man his neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. Uh, Jeremiah 32 and verse 40, another compression of a greater covenant to supplant the old. And I will make an everlasting, again, Jeremiah 34 verse 40, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will not turn away from them. Look at the promise, the grandeur of that promise. He turned away from them in the old covenant because they were disloyal. Now he's going to make a new covenant, and he will never turn away from them again. The loyalty there is absolutely incredible and stark because God is going to do something entirely new and entirely majestic. He will seal the covenant by the blood of Christ and, and, and affect the totality of absolute loyalty, for he will never turn away from us ever again. I will not turn away from them to do them, to stop doing them good, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts, so they will not turn away from me. Again, the reminder of a greater covenant. So great, it's absolutely astounding. The covenant of works did not secure our loyalty. The children of Israel were disloyalty, so God does something radical and new. He makes a new covenant, and Jesus fulfills it and secures our ability to be loyal, promises never to turn away from us, and He puts the fear of God in our hearts that we would walk loyally with Him throughout our sojourning on this earth. What a reminder of the grandeur of the Gospel. What a reminder in our own age where we repeatedly read in the daily newspaper and the accounts of history of the disloyalty of people 
to one another, of the disloyalty of families, of nations, of employees, not so with our Christ. He's loyal to us forever. He secures our own loyalty upon the cross. He makes a new covenant and Jesus fulfills it. Let's look at one New Testament reference uh, to that fulfillment. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 16 to 18. It's a context of the greatness of Christ securing a greater covenant. Uh, The context of this passage begins with a negative as a precondition of what Christ secures for us. And the precondition is the inability of human priests to secure grace for us. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 11. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time again the same sacrifices. And then notice the commentary which can never take away sins. The priesthood of the old covenant was only a foreshadowing of a greater priest. The inability of those priests to deal with sin, they were not able to take away sins. The positive counterpart to the human priest is Christ the great priest. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. But He, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of the Father. One sacrifice for sin for all time. He dispatches the work so much so He takes His seat at the right hand of God the Father. He finishes the work of redemption. A reminder, again, picks up the language perhaps in a sharper way in verse 14. For by one offering He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Great reminder of the grace of God. The repetitive offerings of the priests in the Old Covenant. Even the high priest on the Day of Atonement. Totally supplanted to the only priest in all of his perfections who offers one sacrifice for all time. By the way, I think by application that uh, is applicable to a number of church denominations today who have priests that offer absolution for sin. I find that remarkable in light of the theology of the book of Hebrews. A human priest cannot make absolution for sin. Why? Because they are sinners. There is but one priest that can make absolution for sin, and that is the great priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he offers it one time because of the entirety of the completeness of the majesty of His eternal perfections upon the cross to satisfy the liability of the wrath of God for His people. Incredible. The greater Moses, the greater Joshua, the greater covenant. Notice the outcome that picks up the theology of the promised new covenant from the words of the prophet Jeremiah that I read a moment ago. Let me read verse 16 again. Hebrews 10, verses 16 and 17. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law upon their heart and upon their minds I will write them. And then he says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember 
no more. The Greek text in verse 17 literally can be translated, I will absolutely not be remembering their sins and their lawlessness no more because of the finality and the absoluteness and the perfections and the beauty of Jesus Christ in dealing with sin. Sin prevents us from drawing near to God. Forgiveness obviates and precludes further sacrifice. He sets in motion the entire cure and he fixes our hearts and our minds that we would be loyal to him because of his loyalty to Christ and the greater covenant. Uh, This text to me is decisive and that what he secured for us is final and forever. It's meant to do what? To bind our hearts in loyalty to him. When we study the disloyalty of Israel, when we study the great warning passages of Hebrews 6, of 1 Corinthians 10, the 2 Timothy chapter 2, what should catch us, fix us, is the loyalty of Christ to us, the majesty of that loyalty and all of its perfection that is already set in motion, the finality of the cure, of writing his law upon our hearts and our minds. And so my friend Tekka walked down memory lane. Maybe it's good to remember our, our, uh, our failures, our sin, sometimes our disaffection with God, and then to catch ourselves upon what? The majesty of Christ. That God was loyal to us. That God has not forgotten us. He's answered the question, where is God? In Christ, in Messiah. The opening of the heavens, the coming of the Spirit, the leading of the sons of God. The shepherding us through the tragedy of the waters that throw out of the mouth of the dragon that God is with us and protecting us and preserving us and keeping us. And my friend, if it were not so, none of us would make it to the other side that we will because of Christ because of spirit, because of God the Father, because of a greater Moses, a greater Joshua, and a far more superior covenant where Christ fixes the problem of our sinfulness and our guilt in the one-time offering of himself. And so this, this answer of memory lane, this answer of where is God, is Christ and covenant. And I understand all of us uh, will suffer the agonies of the fall of the first Adam. I understand that uh, we live in a fallen world. Uh, But the question, where is God, does not apply to us because of Christ, because of a new covenant. And even in the worst of the vagaries of life, what's the answer? Christ in the new covenant. Securing not just our beginning in the faith, but our ending in the faith. That my friend, for us, we are in good days because of Christ in covenant. I understand the best is yet to come. But Christ in covenant even secures that in the totality and the finality of the absoluteness of his perfections in the new covenant and the beginning of it all upon the cross. 
And so perhaps today you're wondering, you're in some fix in life, you're struggling over some issue. I understand that even as Christians were tested and were tempted. But remember this. The answer to it all is the simplicity and the beauty of Christ what he did for us upon the cross. And Christ in an everlasting, eternal covenant, cementing his loyalty to us forever and our loyalty to him throughout time until he comes for us to secure our absolute glory because of the perfections of what he did for us upon the cross and in the making of the new covenant. And let us as the people of God remember those things and God will bless us throughout this life until that great day.